the new year, first Sunday of the new year, and uh, while I was thinking about this the past couple days, um, a, a memory came to mind and kind of spurred me to write a little thing about it, but uh, several years ago I went to visit a lady. She wasn't living as she should. She was doing some things. She needed to make some corrections, some changes in her life, and, and I was trying to encourage her to move in that direction, and um, she said, you know what? January 1st. January 1st, I'm going to make some changes. I'm, I'm going to be different because I'll have a blank slate and I'll, I'll start January 1st. My follow-up, of course, was, well, what's wrong with starting right now? You know, why do you have to wait till January? What does January 1st have to do with a clean slate, a fresh start, a new beginning? Um, yeah, we turn a calendar on January 1st. Calendar change doesn't do away with your sins. Um, we uh, often make resolutions on January 1st. But resolutions don't give you a fresh start, a new beginning. Um, those are noble, but that's not what gives us a fresh start. The uh, passing of time doesn't forgive our sins. It doesn't uh, cleanse us in any way. I think sometimes we get lulled into thinking that that's the case, that, that we get to a point and we made a mess of things and so we just reform. We do better, we make resolutions, we stop doing bad things, we start picking up better habits and, and that gives us somehow a fresh start, a new beginning, a clean slate. Not so. Time doesn't forgive sins. The passing of time doesn't erase the mistakes you've made in the past. And the flipping of a calendar doesn't take it all away either. Somewhere, if we've made mistakes that we need to fix, we have to humble ourselves and ask for God's forgiveness. That's the way you get a fresh start. We're at January, what what is today, the 6th? I think 6th or 7th, uh, 6th. the fact that it's January the 6th, it's the first day of the year, has nothing to do with whether you get a fresh start or not. You can leave here with a fresh start today um, by humbling yourself, asking God to forgive you of your mistakes, wanting your life clean and, and new, and uh, he'll grant you that. But it comes through repentance. It doesn't come through the passing of time. And uh, we, we need to understand that. And as we come to this new year, I want us to talk about a few things that maybe we can do this year. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says, God had opened a door that he said no one can close. And he opened it for a congregation that was a good congregation. Um, they were small in number, but he had opened a door and he said, I won't let anybody close it. What open doors might God open for us this year that we can walk through and take advantage of and make a difference in the lives of, well, yourself, your family, um, members of the church, uh, other Christians, your neighbors, those who aren't faithful, those who don't know Jesus yet? Um, What opportunities might God open if we ask? And so I'd like for us to look just for a little bit about some of the potential that 2013 holds. And uh, the first one is this. 
If we want to use what God has given us in this new year, I think one of the things we need to do is to pursue a righteousness that exceeds. It's the theme of the Sermon on the Mount, a righteousness that exceeds. It's by far the most popular, it's the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus, and it's by far the most popular sermon that he ever preached. Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus preaches this masterpiece, and in essence, it's all about this. I I need you to practice a righteousness that exceeds. In Matthew 5 and verse 20, he tells us what he wants it to exceed, the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, if you were a person living in that day and age, you looked at the Pharisees and, man, they're like super religious people. They, they wore the little boxes on their head that had the Ten Commandments in it. They, they were the ones that stood on the street corners and prayed. They, they were always decked out in their religious garb and, and doing all the religious things and They were the model of religion. How in the world can I ever do a righteousness that exceeds theirs? Well, the answer is we see a little behind the scenes with these Pharisees, and we see that they were heavy on outward action, but their heart and their motives were weak. They did things to be seen of men, but not to be seen of God. And what God calls us to and what Jesus calls us to in Matthew chapter 5 is a religion, a righteousness that is genuine inside and out. That's one of the things that I think we all probably have room to improve in. How can I live up to a righteousness that exceeds? I don't want to just do what people see as righteous. I want to dig down a little bit deeper and do a little bit more. In what ways can I do that? From a human standpoint, I think of Romans chapter 12 and verse 21. Um, Paul, it's a great chapter. It tells us how to deal with our relationship with God. Then he tells us how to deal with our relationship among brethren. And then even with our enemies in that little chapter. Uh, But in verse 21, he says, Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. In this year, we're going to have conflict. Some of that conflict will arise from brethren. Some of that conflict will arise at work. Some of it will arise with disputes with your neighbor. Um, Don't let evil get the best of you. Overcome evil with good. Don't respond in kind. Overcome evil with good. The worldly way, or even the way that a lot of Christians might handle themselves when faced with conflict, is just to uh, maybe get even, um, maybe, well, just withdraw and, uh, from the conflict. But he says, I want you to even, do, don't let evil get the best of you. Do good. Overcome evil with good. That's a righteousness that exceeds. And there are so many other ways that you can live that out and and think about Acts 20 and verse 35. Uh, It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus said. How many of you are into giving? What what if I improved my willingness to 
to give, to do for others, um, just little things. And they don't have to be seen by other people. They don't have to be acknowledged. Um, right now, there's work going on in the building, as you can see. You know, Jeff and, and his family are, are, you know, cleaning up and fixing the, the cracks. And, and so the, the things are a little bit, you know, out of sorts right now. Um, you might find something laying on the floor. Well... It's not my job to pick that up. It's what we have uh, Bob and Laverne for, right? Um, they, they can clean up that trap. What, what if you went ahead and just picked it up? Have you done good? Yeah. Do you get your name in the bulletin for it? No. Does God take notice? Yes. Hebrews 6 and verse 10 says that God is not unjust to forget our labor of love. Whatever you do, because of your relationship to God and your love for Christ, as small as it may be, God takes notice. Get outside of yourself and do things that maybe you wouldn't typically do and do them in the name of Jesus. Can we do that this year? Do you know what an impact that would have? When people go above and beyond what other people expect from you, you get their attention. You earn their ear, and you have opportunities to discuss Jesus with them. Let's pursue a righteousness that exceeds. Here's something else that I'd like for us to do, and that is to, well, step out of our comfort zone. It's easy to get in a rut. Ruts are comfortable. I don't like change. I, I, I'm used to the same thing, uh, and And if you told me what I would want for dinner, I'd probably tell you the same thing all the time because, you know, I I like that. Uh, You go out to a restaurant, why do we order the same thing every time we go out to to eat? Because we like certain things and we don't like to change. Change makes us uncomfortable. I'm asking that we get out of our ruts. Do more than what you're just used to doing. And that can be in, in terms of ministry. Um, what, what is it and how do you typically serve God in a year? Could you do that and do something else? Could you challenge and stretch yourself to engage yourself in ministry in a way that you've never ministered before? Um, the Bible tells us in Revelation 3 verse 8 that God opens doors. And we're told in Ephesians 3 and verse 20 that as we pray to God that he is, and get the, the, the descriptives, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, and get this, and all that we even think. God not only hears our prayers and says, ah, oh, that's nothing. Yeah, I can do that. Just ask. But he is able and willing to do things that I can't even comprehend to even ask for. He's already on top of that game for us as well. James tells us that the reason we don't have many of the things that we need, James 4 and verse 2, is because we don't ask. In fact, open your Bible to James chapter 5. I I want you to see something with reference to a man much like us. In James chapter 5, verse uh, 16, 
He says, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, we know that verse. We quote that verse. Effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We can do a lot of good through prayer. But often we fail to give the example that he gives to demonstrate and to prove what he's just affirmed. Look at the very next verse, verse 17. Elijah, a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, I know that Elijah was actually instructed to pray that prayer, and that prayer was within the bounds of the will of God. But the point is this. Here's a man just like us. He prayed and God heard his prayer and did something as extraordinary as causing it to stop from raining for three and a half years. He prays again, it rains. We ask for such little things sometimes. Our vision sometimes is so small. What we ask God to do for us is is so small in comparison to what he could and is willing to do for us. Let us ask. Let's ask in a way that um, if God isn't in it, it, it won't happen. Let's ask for big things, for ways in which we can be used in his service as instruments of his providence to, to reach out to this community and to affect the lives of... Let, let me give you an example, getting outside of our, our comfort zone. This past year, we wrote a book, Right? 160 of you wrote a chapter, so to speak, uh, for this book that we just recently published. Now, for a lot of you, that's out of your comfort zone. I had many of you come and say, oh, I'm just not a writer. Man, this is so hard. I, I don't, I, this was a very difficult thing to do. And, and that even makes it more appreciated to know that you struggled through it, but you did it anyway. And so we've, we've, we've completed this book. Aren't you glad we have that book? You know how many doors ha- have been opened, conversations have begun because of that book? It was out of the comfort zone for a lot of people to, to put their words down in thought. I'm not a writer. I don't do that very often. But you did it, and now look what the, the fruit is. Just um, this past weekend, two things happened. I was at a store here in, in Carnes, and a lady said, Do you, you're the preacher at that church that just wrote that book, right? I said, yeah. She said, I love that book. I, I've got that, and uh, that, that's just, that's great. I got a phone call from, or an email from a man who preaches for a church in Alabama, and he wanted some copies of uh, our book. And the reason is he said, we have a devotional that we want to do every day of the year in this congregation. We want to use your book as a guide for our congregational studies. So not only are you and we are benefiting from this labor that you engaged in, but you're helping people and opening doors for people throughout the world. I know another man in New Zealand uh, who is using that book as an evening devotional for his family every night of the year. Um, 
So it's, it's all over the world because you got out of your comfort zone and did something that we don't typically do. I want us to think outside the box. I want us to get outside of our comfort zone and do things and let God bear fruit and his word bear fruit. Here's a third thing I'd like to see us do this year, and that is to make sure that we're developing our own spirituality. Do you have a godly wife? Good. It makes it easier. But you can't go to heaven because your wife's godly. You have a godly husband? It's wonderful. But you can't go to heaven because your husband's all that and more. You have godly parents? I'm thankful for you. That paves a a way for you. But you're not going to go to heaven because your mom and dad are faithful. Somewhere along the line, we have to develop our own relationship with God, our own spirituality. In uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, the Bible tells us what we need to do and what God's will for us to do, and that is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That takes personal responsibility. I I need to each day work, and, and this is what I challenge you to do. Each day, try to look more and more like Jesus. Um, have you heard the statement, I'm sure you have, that God doesn't have grandchildren, he only has children? You don't sustain a relationship to God through your parents. If you're a child of God, it's because you're his child, and, and there's no in-between between you and God. God doesn't have grandchildren, he just has children. So let's make sure that we develop our own relationship to God and develop the mind of Christ, Philippians 2 and verse 5. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the challenge of discipleship. How, how do I become more like Jesus? Uh, some days we do better than others. Some days we do terribly. But let's pick ourselves up, seek God's forgiveness, and strive to be more and more like Jesus. Have you ever seen certain people? Well, just yesterday, Margaret Cagle had her uh, 90th birthday party. And one of her daughters, the one in Murfreesboro, I, I don't remember her name, I'm sorry. But you looked at her picture, or looked at her and looked at a picture of Margaret that they had. They looked identical, you could tell, and you can still tell from her daughters back here, you can tell who Margaret's family is. It's, it's evident. You can see the family resemblance. And sometimes you'll look at pictures of, of people and you'll say, oh, well, that looks just like his dad. That's the way it's supposed to be. And when people look at us, they ought to be able to say, I see Jesus in him. There's such a family resemblance. I want us to develop our spiritual lives so that when people see us, they see beyond us and see Jesus. After all, we're family. And then here's the last point that I'd like to challenge you to do. This year, what if each one of us would win one? You know, we've talked about... uh, 
you know, there, there's church growth statistics say that when you get 80% full capacity in a, in a building, you're, you're going to stop growing. You're, you're going to plateau because um, people are not going to sit shoulder to shoulder, especially visitors are not going to come into a new place with people that they do not know and sit down and rub shoulders. They, they just won't do it. And so when you reach that 80%, things just across the board, they, they plateau out and, and there needs to be more room. And, you know, we're, we're 80% full here. There's, there, we're talking about and trying to make plans of how to enlarge the, the building to accommodate more people so that, you know, people don't turn away because of the inconveniences. But what if the number of people here, what if half of us brought one person to Jesus this year? What if just the youth group each brought one person to Jesus this year? What if just, uh, you know, half of the congregation, just half of the adults brought one person to Jesus this year? That plan of, of having to do something to make more room would be expedited tremendously um, because we wouldn't have place for everybody. And is it unreasonable to suggest that maybe in a year's time I might be able to convert one person? And it won't happen if we don't plan for it. But if we plan for it, if I may, and here, here's what we often do. We, we say, okay, I'm going to evangelize this year. And so we do all kind of things to reach all kind of people. Well, let me ask you this. Can you think of one person right now that you would really like to bring to Jesus in this year? your best friend, your, your son or your daughter, your mother or your father, your brother or your sister, your co-worker, your, your um, person that goes to school with you. Can you think of just not ten, one? Will you begin today praying to God to open doors, to give you opportunities for reaching that one person. Through this year, will you begin to work just on that one person, inviting and trying to to till the soil so that it's receptive to the gospel? What if we had a plan? Here's what I'm going to do this week with respect to this person. Here's what I'm going to do this month with respect to this person. And we plan out a year's strategy of trying to reach just one person. Don't let it be haphazard. Don't let it be uh, coincidental. Let it be a strategy. You know what? When God chose to save man, it was a plan. We call it even the scheme of redemption, the plan of salvation. Before the foundation of the world, God had it all worked out. He knew in advance that we would sin. And so before the foundation of the world, Revelation 13 and verse 8, Jesus was slain as a lamb before the foundation of the world. God had a plan, and that plan was executed and followed. And look at how many people it has saved. What's your plan? I don't know if I have a plan. Well, let's make one. That's what I'm saying. If we will make a plan and decide, here's what I'm going to do this month to reach this person. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to invite them to. Here's what I'm going to encourage them. Uh, And then next month, what are you going to do? Let's work to try to win just one person. If each of us 
could accomplish that, think of how different the Carnes congregation would be by 2014. Let us make plans. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30 says, The person who wins souls is wise. Not crafty, but wise. Because when you win a soul, think of what you have done. You, you have saved a soul from death. You have, uh, well, isn't it usually the case that when you convert someone that maybe their family will follow? Those closest to that person, they, they have intimate discussions and they're able to convince and, and bring their family to Christ as well. And that's one of the joys of soul winning is you convert one person and then you see his wife obeys, his children obey, his mom and dad may obey, his sister or brother may obey, and pretty soon you have this network growing out from that one conversion that you were wise enough uh, to pursue. Let us each work plan, scheme to win one soul to Christ this year and help them to mature and develop into being the kind of disciple that Jesus wants. We, we sing a song entitled, Lead Me to Some Soul Today. Pray that prayer. Pray that song. Ask the Lord to lead you to a soul today. And, and take advantage of the opportunities that we have. I think there are great challenges that this new year presents us with. There are so many good things that we're involved in, so many good projects that uh, we, we engage in and that are supported by your generosity and by your sacrifice. And that's the way God intended it to work. He, he knew the church had work to do. It takes money to do that work, and he what we've done already today. He established the plan by which those good works are funded and are supported. But I I want us to accept the challenges of this new year. Let's make a difference in the lives of other people. Let's live above mediocrity. Don't be content with what we've always done the way we've done it. Let's, let's stretch ourselves. Let's exercise our, our spirituality. Let's get outside of what we're comfortable doing and, and reach out in ways that God said, I'll help you with. Let's make this year memorable. And as I close, I want to close the same way I began. This is the first of January, first week of January. That means nothing. It has nothing to do with a fresh start, a new beginning. What has to do with a fresh start and a new beginning is you humbling yourself and saying, God, I repent. I'm sorry. I want to do better. Then you have a fresh start and a new beginning. And that doesn't have to wait to January 1st. It can happen on any day of the year. That's the God we serve. And if you're here this morning and you need a fresh start, if you need and want and desire, uh, you know, that blank book where you can write, you know, what 2013 is going to be all about, humble yourself. 
Ask God for forgiveness in the past. Ask him for strength that you might live this year in more of a way as a disciple that you reflect Jesus better than you did last year. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God and you need to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, do that. Make that happen. We'll assist you in that and and your slate will be washed clean. If you're a child of God and you need the prayers of your brethren, uh, whether it's to confess, I haven't been who I needed to be, I want you to know I've changed and I want to change today and I want you to know it today. Please pray for me. Or it may be, I'm doing all right. It's not that I'm turned my back on God or anything, but man, it's just hard. I face struggles and I I need help. I want people to pray for me. We'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.